Well, let's turn in our Bibles to our Old Testament, to the book of Psalms. Uh, you may recall that we began uh, this month, uh, the first Sunday of the month, um, looking at Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. And let me just remind you that they are meant to be considered together. Remember, Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 really uh, provide for us the entryway into the entire Psalter, all 150 Psalms. And, and they give to us, really, the themes of our entire Bible. And, and so as you're turning to the Psalms and ready to look at the first little bit of Psalm 1 and, and the last little bit of Psalm 2, let me, let me just ask you this. How is it that people living in one of the wealthiest, healthiest, most learned uh, technologically advanced societies the world has ever known. How is it that despite all of that, so many people are unhappy? I mean, we are surrounded in this world by unhappy people. Have you noticed that? How is, that, how is it that so many Americans are so unhappy despite all that we have, despite all that we've achieved? Well, remember, Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 together answer that question. They, they remind us that what we've achieved in an earthly sense, what we possess in, a, in, a, in an earthly sense, our circumstances are not sufficient sources of happiness. True happiness comes from a right relationship with God. And the assurance that you're living out the kind of life that God created you to live. And so Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 really confront us with those questions. Do, do I have a right relationship with God? Do I have a sense that I'm actually living out the life that God has created me to live? Am I, am I happy by that measure, the biblical measure? And this matters so much to us because both of these psalms show us that in God's economy, there are not merely happy people and unhappy people. There are happy people and eternally perishing people. And there are no tweeners. You say, what about the, what about the sort of blessed? There, there are no such people. Despite all this world's diversity, behind all the faces from all the races and all the various places on planet Earth, there are just two kinds of people inhabiting this world. God says, the blessed and the perishing. Look, look at verse 1 of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. That's the blessed man. And then in Psalm 2, look at the very last verse at the end of Psalm 2, verse 12. Kiss the Son, God's anointed King, lest he be angry. And you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. So, so who is happy biblically? The blessed are those whose lives are marked by affection for God's word. 
says Psalm 1. The blessed are those whose lives are marked by allegiance to God's anointed King, Jesus Christ. And so as we enter into the Psalter through these two Psalms, we're meant to be asking ourselves, uh, where do my affections lie? What are my allegiances? Now, this morning, we're going to jump right into verse 3 of Psalm 1, uh, and we're going to consider the fruitfulness of the blessed man, uh, the, the happy man in the biblical sense. What kind of life is enjoyed by those who delight in the law of the Lord? who meditate on his law both day and night. Well, says verse 3, He, uh, the blessed, shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Notice just three things. Most of us can remember three things, right? Just three things. God plants his people. And God prospers his people. We need to know what that means. And God preserves his people. God plants, God prospers, God preserves. Very simple outline and we'll, we'll take them in that order. God plants his people. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Picture in your mind a desert wilderness. Something that looks a little bit like this next slide that's coming right now. There it is. Um, That is the Judean desert. Um, Very hot, very dry. And you can see what happens when it's very hot and very dry and there's no water. A dry, desolate wilderness. Uh, God's people knew all about deserts and uh, in David's day. They knew all about the, the, the importance of water for life, for fruitfulness, for prosperity. You and I read a a, a chapter like Psalm 1 and we think maybe of, of, of of a Pacific Northwest tree or something like that. We're not meant to have that image. We've got water all over the place. We can't get rid of it. Not so for God's people in ancient Israel. They knew all about the importance of water, living where they lived, they saw right in front of them every single day, visible, experiential reminders of what it was to be with or without water. And to live in this fallen world, how many of you know, is to live in a spiritual wilderness. It is a desolate place. How dry is the wilderness of this world? Well, well, it is so dry and so desolate that very well-meaning, educated people think it's okay to kill 60 million babies in my lifetime. This has all happened in one generation in the U.S. Babies made in the image of God in the course of just one generation. What, What a wilderness this world is. How desolate is it? Well, it's so desolate that in Canada, remember Canada, just north of here? Uh, This month, January 2022, it has been legislated in Canada that God's design for gender and uh, family is merely a myth. Merely a myth. 
And to even preach God's design for human sexuality and family is now considered a crime if the aim is to convert people to Christ. We'll say more of this next week, and I mention it not to be sensational, but to suggest to you that it's coming our way, that this is the nature of the wilderness that God's people live in. A desert wilderness spiritually, the curse of sin has rendered it so. But, but, but what, what is the message of verse 3? God's people know a secret oasis, do we not? We know a hidden oasis to, to, to live with affection for God's law, God's Torah. Remember, that just means his instruction and to live in allegiance to his anointed king, the Lord Jesus Christ, is to be like a tree planted in an oasis, abundantly sourced by God himself. Are you planted in such an oasis, though you live in a wilderness? What an oasis this is. Look at verse 3 again. And by the way, we're going to look at verse 3 a lot. You probably guessed that. Um, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. The verb to be, he shall be like, uh, implies ongoing life as opposed to what? Ongoing death. Strength as opposed to what? Wilting and withering. Lasting significance as opposed to pointlessness. Futility. God's people are spiritually thriving, strong, significant, no matter what their circumstances, even though we live in a desert wilderness in the spiritual sense. So so you might just ask yourself, does that describe you? Are, are, Are you thriving, strong, significant, No matter what your earthly circumstances, in other words, are you a planting of the Lord? All throughout the Bible, we see God planting his people. In the book of Genesis, we're told that Adam was was put in or planted in the Garden of Eden. God's people Israel were taken out of bondage in Egypt, were they not? And they were planted in a land of his choosing, Canaan. And fast forward to the Psalms and throughout the Psalms, like Psalm 104, we read that God's people are like the trees of the Lord, full of sap, the cedars of Lebanon, which he planted. Just think about that, full of sap. Now, if somebody calls you sappy, that's a totally different thing, all right? But full of sap, that, that's thriving in the language of trees, if you will. The cedars of Lebanon, that's strength. God's own planting, that's enduring significance. And we can go elsewhere in either testament and see what it is to be a planting of the Lord, and see that contrasted with what it is not to be a planting of the Lord. In in Jeremiah chapter 17, for example, I know this passage is familiar to many of you, beginning in verse 5, thus says the Lord, 
Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited. Ah, but but blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose hope is in the Lord. He shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river, and will not fear when he comes. But its leaf will be green, and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. So what does it mean to be blessed, to be, to be happy in the biblical sense as, as one planted by the Lord? It, it's to live with hopefulness, not despair. You're surrounded by despairing people, aren't you? Even when the heat comes, people planted by the Lord are hopeful. It, it's to live with courage, not fearfulness. Uh, when an unknown future is right in front of you. Boy, we are surrounded today by fearful people. Perseverance, not indifference, not apathy, certainly not apostasy over time. Peace, not anxiety, constant agitation. This is the blessing of being a fruitful planting of the Lord. Is that you? Now why do you suppose God plants his people? For what purpose? Well, God's people are, as the prophet Isaiah said, trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. What is the point of your life? The glory of God. Do you ever wonder why you're in your family? I mean, they wonder that, but do you ever wonder why you are in your family, your job, your singleness, your marriage, uh, your nation, your church, your time in human history? God planted you there, wherever there is for you. And it's God who planted you in this specific part of the world at this specific time. And he planted you in a place where you would also be living right alongside those who are alienated from him. Those who are antagonistic toward his ways. Adversarial toward his people. You're an oasis in a desert wilderness of hopelessness and fear and anxiety and you, can you be more specific yeah killing babies telling people it's wrong to trust in god's design for gender and and sexuality and family what a wilderness we live in and you're meant to bear fruit for him right in the middle of all of that And so before any of us grumble about our circumstances, you know someone really well who does that from time to time. Before any of us grumble about our circumstances, let's at least be aware that we're grumbling against God. He's planted us, right? Wherever there is, he's planted us there. 
before any of us gloat about our circumstances relative to other people. Let's at least be aware that God planted us and gave us every good thing we have. And it's in his infinite wisdom that he has withheld from us some of the trials or limitations that he's ordained for others. So you, Christian, are a planting of the Lord for his glory. For his glory. I wonder how is your life aimed in the direction of God's glory? All of the priorities that you have for this new year. I guess it's still a new year, isn't it? Seems old already, isn't it? Funny how quickly that happens. How do those priorities relate to the glory of God manifest in you? And you say, well, wait a minute. You mentioned the word Christian. And you can't use the word Christian because we're in the Psalms. We're in the Old Testament. And Jesus has not even arrived yet in human history, right? No. No, that's not right. There's always this elephant in the room when we use gospel language in the study of the Old Testament. And so let me just say this as a reminder. From from Genesis to Revelation to today, God's people were and are saved by faith in His grace, right? We are saved, you you can say it the other way if you want, saved by grace through faith in God's promises to His people. In the Old Testament, God's people were saved by faith in a coming deliverer, a redeemer, Uh, So much of the Psalms, in fact, I think you could argue all of the Psalms, give us hints of our Savior Jesus. A Redeemer, an anointed King who was promised to God's people. We could say that they were saved uh, by faith in Christ, dimly perceived in the Old Testament. The seed of the woman, he promised in Genesis 3, Revealed progressively throughout the Old Testament, becoming more and more clear to God's people. Job, who, as you know, is is the Bible's kind of original old guy, right? One of the first guys. Job put it this way. He said, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. You see, Job's security and hope was not in the fact that he was a good guy compared to all the bad guys. His hope was that he trusted in God's promise to send a redeemer. Abraham's faith in God, the promises of God, was credited to him as righteousness, not his perfect law-keeping. At the time of David then, getting into the Psalms now, God's people were not saved by their law-keeping. Did you know that? You sometimes hear people say that. Well, in the Old Testament, people were saved by keeping the law. In the New Testament, people were saved by by grace through faith in Christ. That is not so. Nobody's ever been saved by law-keeping. In fact, in David's day, as you know, all of that sacrificial system that, that, that generated all of that blood to, to atone for uh, the, the, the guilt of God's people because of the sinfulness, the, the failure to keep the law among God's people. 
that had to be done over and over and over again. And the writer of Hebrews says, hey, the the priests never sat down because their job was never done. Meaning what? Meaning that the blood of all of those animals in and of itself was not the answer. It was a picture. A picture of what God had promised to do in Christ pointing forward to the work of a redeemer, as Job would say, a savior, a Messiah, who would come and finally satisfy the wrath of God for his people's sins, satisfy the indignation that God had because of the covenant relationship he had with his people being broken. So in Adam's day, in Job's day, Abraham's day, David's day, our day. The issue is simply this. Are you, believer, are you a believer in the Lord and his promised deliverer, his anointed king or not? Are you a planting of the Lord or are you like so many in ancient Israel, a wild vine? Choosing to go your own way. Choosing to to make your own way through the wilderness that is this world. God said to Israel through the prophet Jeremiah, Yet I had planted you a noble vine, a seed of highest quality. How then have you turned before me into the degenerate plant of an alien vine? Jesus, our Savior Jesus, our King, is the ultimate blessed man of Psalm 1, isn't he? And he's like that tree that brought forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf did not wither, and whatever he did prospered. And you say, wait a minute, Jesus was crucified. How is that prospering? How is that bringing forth fruit? Well, who who is Jesus? Jesus is eternal God. God the Son planted in time and human history to do for his people what they cannot do for themselves. To live out the perfect righteousness of God in real time in humanity. This is your king. This is your Savior, planted by God to live that life for you. Do you know him? And then Jesus went to that cross, and his blood was shed. He gave his life, the scripture says. Nobody took it from him. He gave his life. Why? So that he might satisfy the wrath of a holy God. For, not for his sins. He knew no sin. But he came, became as sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And Jesus prospered in that. He accomplished all that the Father sent him to do for his people. And then he rose again in the power of an eternal life, didn't he? And Jesus imparts that 
blessed life. What, what is that again? That life, that strength, that enduring significance to all of his people. So, so in, in New Testament language, we who are in Christ could say that we're a planting of the Lord because we've attached, we've been attached by grace through faith in Christ. So I ask you again, is that you? Are you attached to Jesus? And, and, and are you bearing the fruit of attachment to Christ? You say, well, sort of. Well, remember, there's not a sort of. There's not a tweener. You're, you're not going to find anybody in Psalm 1 or Psalm 2 who's sort of a Christian. Sort of one of God's people. Used to be one, isn't anymore. There are no such people. There are the blessed and there are the eternally perishing. Now, God not only plants his people, but what was the second one? They all started with P. I made it easy for you. Prospers. God prospers his people. Look, look, look at verse 3 again. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. We, we need to know what this prosperity is because this verse has been misquoted uh, by those who peddle a false gospel who tell us that, hey, if you just, if you just pray and have enough faith and read the right verses, you'll never get sick. And you'll always be able to pay your bills. And, and everybody's going to like you a lot. And, and that's just wrong, isn't it? That's just wrong. What, what is this prosperity? Well, what, what is prosperity for a tree? It, it's fruitfulness, right? If you're an orange tree, you, you, you bear oranges. In, in the land of Israel, ancient Israel, if you're an olive tree, you produce olives, right? It's, it's super simple. If you're a planting of God, you produce godliness. You produce holiness, a reflection of God's own nature. So God plants his people to reflect his holiness, you say, well, why am I in the situation that I'm in in that job? Why am I in this particular family with all of the different dynamics that we have? Does your family have dynamics? So does mine. Why? Well, there may be lots of answers to that, but ultimately the answer is there, you're there to reflect God's nature. And so says Psalm 1, happiness and holiness actually grow together. They grow together. Jesus said this, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. See, it's only through attachment to him by faith through our being grafted into God's family by the Spirit, through allegiance to Christ, the King, that will bear fruit for His glory. And as it turns out, that's why we're here. That's why God has planted us. It comes only through attachment to Christ. Martin Lloyd-Jones once put it this way. He said, The blessed life is the life commended or applauded by God. 
So the happy are those to whom God one day will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And of this fruitful attachment to Christ, the Apostle Paul says what? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. God plants his people and provides everything necessary for his people to be always be growing in joy, to always be growing in peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And, and yes, there are seasons in this growth. And there are seasons when we, by our measure, we feel like we're not growing at all. You ever have one of those? But we can just look at the created order, can't we? And see that it's not really to do with feelings. That so-called dormant season for the tree is nonetheless productive and important for it. Our leaf never withers in Christ. We do not turn from our trust in him, our allegiance to him. We, we don't die off, if you will, in our affection for his word. Such is the nature of those who are the planting of the Lord. And do you realize that every single person in this room who is attached to Christ by faith is in a season designed by God uh, to grow in holiness, to grow in fruitfulness. And sometimes the very circumstances that you and I pray against, God has brought into our lives that we may grow in some of these areas. And so when there is a circumstance that is not of your choosing, you ever have those? So a lot of you are in them right now. Just look, look at our, the prayer list that goes out every week. Most of those prayer requests relate to things that people have not asked to experience, okay? The, the, the key is not so much to ask, why is this happening to me? But, but what fruit is God looking for in this season? How will God be glorified through me, one of his kids, in this season that I'm in? That, that is prosperity by God's definition. Success for the Christian is measured by obedience to God. Did you know that? Success for the Christian is measured by obedience to God not by anything accomplished apart from him. We want to be careful, I think, not to throw um, the baby out with the bathwater, as they say. Um, we could spiritualize Psalm 1 to the point where we think, well, it must just be that God does not prosper his people temporally in an earthly sense. But how many of you know, every one of us in this room lives in a place and at a time in human history where God has prospered us like no other people. Every good thing we have has come from the Lord and he has prospered us. And when we live 
as those who love the law of the Lord, the instruction of the Lord, so often he does prosper us even in temporal ways. Do you realize that a Christian marriage, for example, can be a blessing that this world has no explanation for? Some of you are learning about that on Thursdays at the marriage class that just got underway. Biblical stewardship of your finances absolutely yields fruit even in a temporal sense. It it will work well for you in this life, okay? Because God is so good to His people. When, when, When we treat our minds and our bodies... As, as a temple of the Holy Spirit, we'll often be well, um, unlike those who just abuse their bodies, neglect their bodies. And so we, we, we want to understand that there are ways that God blesses His righteous ones even in this life. That's part of our testimony in this world, isn't it? Sure it is. One of my favorite Old Testament passages, are you still listening, <laughs> has to do with... Um, what God said to Daniel's people when they were um, taken away captive by the Babylonians. Here, here's, what, here's God's instruction to them. He said, build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters that you may be increased there and not diminished, and seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive, and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. Now think about what God is saying. Even in a period of exile, even in in that, that place, that situation, not of your choosing, God says, I want you to expect my blessing. So so you be the best citizens you can be in that place. And I'll prosper you. And that will be a testimony to my glory in that place through you. I wonder if it seems to you as it does me that God's people are in exile today. And what I mean by that is that this world is not our home. We're not staying here in this world in its present state. And God says to us today, hey, I want you to seek the, 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 the peace of that place that I've planted you. Be the, be the best citizen you can be in that place. And let me bless that. And it will be a visual testimony to my glory among the nations. But, but the, the prosperity that is in view in Psalm 1 primarily is to do with this bearing the nature of our God. And listen, nobody but you, nobody but you and God know whether you are someone who delights in the law of the Lord. Nobody but you and God know whether you are somebody who meditates on his law both day and night. You see, the, 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 the hidden oasis is just that. It's a, it's a secret supply. It's below ground. Just like the roots of that blessed who is like a tree. But the fruit is apparent, isn't it? The fruit is apparent. So so we might want to just examine ourselves a bit. 
You know, in, in a world that is full of hatred, are we bearing the fruit of love toward our neighbor? Toward our, those who are apart from Christ in our community? In a, in, a, in, a, in a season of so much worry and fear, are we bearing the fruit of joy and peace? So much so that people every once in a while say, hey, what, what is your deal? What is the deal with these Jesus people? In seasons of persecution, in seasons of unfairness, will we yet bear the fruit of kindness and goodness? In the sea of self-indulgence that we live in these days, will we yet bear the fruit of self-control? You see, such are the trees planted by God and supplied by this hidden oasis, roots growing deep in the supply of right relationship with him, glad obedience to his word. So God plants his people, and and God prospers his people. And we'll end with this one. God preserves his people. God preserves his people. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Notice that phrase, whose leaf also shall not wither. That that brings us back to where we started, doesn't it? Two kinds of people living in two different directions and living toward two very different eternal outcomes. The godly, the righteous, the blessed, who endure in fruitfulness. And then says verse 4, the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Remember, the ungodly, that's not referring to people who are as bad as they possibly could be. We often think of that word that way. The wicked is not referring to those who are just the the worst possible people on the planet. These are people who simply do not live in allegiance to the king. The the, the, the ungodly are those who, who live outside the covenant community, those who are not in Christ, who who disregard his truth, the instruction of his word. And the caution of scripture is what? One day the wind of divine wrath, divine judgment will come upon those who reject God, who reject his anointed, who ignore his ways. And what will that be like? Well, says the scripture, it will be like chaff blown away in the wind. You think the mission of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ is important. This is the destiny of all who are apart from him. And today we go to the store and we go to the school and we go to the ski hill and we even go to buildings with crosses on them and the righteous and the ungodly are all mixed together. I'm not making this up. It's in your Bible. But there is a day coming, one day, God says, the righteous and the ungodly will never, ever be seen together again. Not ever. 
Listen to a fellow by the name of William Plummer and his commentary on the Psalms. He says this, Here they often live together, protected by the same laws, inhabiting the same city, frequenting the same places of worship, of business, and of recreation, members of the same family, lying in the same bed. And yet when on the last day they shall part, their everyday dealings with one another shall never be renewed while eternity endures. Boy, you think the gospel matters? Wow. And so verse 5 says, Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Jesus put it this way. He said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted, will be uprooted. But Jesus also said this with respect to his own. He said, I am the good shepherd. Remember this one? And I know my sheep and am known by my own. That's our security, isn't it? That's our assurance. We are known by the shepherd. And that is the message of verse 6 of Psalm 1, isn't it? The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. You you see, you, you, you can't take the promises of God in Scripture and not be concerned about the warnings of God. They go together. The Lord knows when you sit down and when you stand up. He knows the number of every hair on your head and how it's changing over time rapidly for some of us, right? The Lord knows his own. He knows those who are his and those who are not. So the invitation of Psalm 1, let me just say this before we close, is to come to the one who calls you to forsake your own way. Remember, that's just the way of the ungodly. It's the way of those who are not attached to God's anointed king, his Christ. Turn from that wicked way and run into the warm embrace of this promised redeemer, this Jesus who loves you more than you'll ever understand. And the encouragement to God's people is is this wonderful reality that the Lord knows our way. He knows that we're his. And he enables us to live productively, fruitfully by his measure, no matter what our circumstances, and to actually be truly happy, truly blessed by God's own standard. So there you have it. God plants his people, and he prospers his people, and he preserves his people. Let's close. Lord, we thank you so much for the wonder of your love for us in Christ. We thank you so much that we see in him the perfection of the blessed man. And Lord, we thank you for the joy of attachment to him. Lord, I pray that it would be the testimony of those of us who belong to this church, your family, Lord, that we would increasingly see our purpose attached to your glory. Lord, to live as those who know they are the planting of the Lord, to bear fruit 
to bear your likeness for your glory. And Lord, you've reminded us as well of the destination of those who are apart from you. God, I pray that you would light in us a fire to make the work of Christ known in our families, in our workplaces, in our community, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.